you would, grab your copy of God's Word this morning and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. As we have been walking through this letter slowly but surely, we arrive at verses 11 and 12 this morning. And what I want to share with you in these moments is that we as believers are called to glorify God by walking in holiness. And in order to glorify God by walking in holiness, there is going to be both war and witness taking place. Y'all ever seen the movie Groundhog Day? Right, the one with Bill Murray where he keeps waking up and reliving the same day over and over again. It's a lot of what the Christian life feels like often. It's also a lot like how God speaks to us in his word. It's almost like we keep rehashing the same things over and over and over. It's almost as if God is intentionally repeating himself consistently so that we might get the point. So today is going to feel like another Groundhog Day of preaching because what I'm going to share is not going to be much different than what Sam shared last week, what I shared two weeks ago, what I shared three. It's going to sound very similar because God is hammering home his point through his servant Peter to remind us continually of the story of two kingdoms. That there's two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of this world, and then there's the kingdom of God. And those two kingdoms are recognizable by their passions and loves and desires. That the citizens of those kingdoms reveal their citizenship through their loves and desires. And just so you know, everyone is pursuing desires and loves. Everyone is. And oftentimes in Christian life, we can present passions as if they're bad. Not all passions are bad. Not all desires are bad. God has created us intentionally to pursue love and passion. The question is, what type of loves and passions are we chasing after? Because that's what marks the two kingdoms. The question is, Which passions are harmful? Which ones are good? Why does it matter which passions you pursue every day? Well, Peter shares with us in verse 11 and 12, based on the truth that he's already shared with us, such as you as believers have been caused to be born again into a living hope through Christ Jesus, that you've been called out of darkness into God's marvelous light, that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, based on all of these truths, how are you as a believer supposed to live in light of that? And here's what I believe Peter tells us in these verses. We are called to glorify God through daily holiness. But how do we do that? Well, We start by going to war. And how I believe we flesh this out is in verses 11 and 12, Peter begins by reminding us and causing us to remember our citizenship. 
1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. What does he start with? War. And what's crucial to this war that's being waged? Number one, we remember our citizenship. He refers to Christians as beloved. He places that at the beginning. He says you are beloved of God. The beloved are those who have experienced the love of God through Jesus Christ. Those who have been welcomed into the kingdom of God, not by our merit or our love, but by God's love for us. His merciful, gracious love. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul tells us about this love. In verse 4 and 5, after he has shared just how ugly of sinners we are, He says in verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 2, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead and our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. One key to walking in holiness to the glory of God is to remember the love God has shown us in in bringing us and saving us into his family, into his kingdom. The way we walk, one of the keys to walking in holiness is do you remember who you belong to and the love you've experienced from him? Do you remember what he saved you from? What the old life used to look like with no hope and ultimate peace and joy? See, to walk in holiness, we're going to need to remember how we've been delivered from darkness and brought into marvelous light. He says you are beloved. If you are a Christian, you are beloved of God. His gracious love poured out to you. On the basis of that, he says, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. See, Peter is petitioning us. He's petitioning the beloved. So what he's saying What comes next is meant for Christians. If you're not a Christian in the room, you need to trust in Jesus this morning because this type of love is the love that you so desperately need. And he urges believers, he implores believers to respond to that love of God that has been shown to them. It means God has expectations on his people. Peter urges the beloved to respond. And who are these beloved? Sojourners and exiles. See, see, to walk to the glory of God in holiness requires that we remember our citizenship, that we are sojourners and we are exiles in this world. That means that in our new identity in Jesus, we no longer belong to this world. This is not our home. You as a believer living on this earth, you are strangers dwelling temporarily in a foreign land. You live here, your lives are here, but you belong to another kingdom. 
And so often we miss that. We lose sight of it when we're just struggling with the everyday problems and things that we face. We can't see who we belong to. We forget. For those of you who have flown in a plane, you ever taken off from the airport under clouds and rain? Gloomy? And we almost like convince ourselves that that's what it's like even when we get higher. It's just gloomy and clouds. But then you come up through the clouds and you have that glorious moment where the sun is shining. And the sun's been shining the whole time. You just couldn't see it because the clouds were there. So much of our walk as Christians is spent just staring at the clouds, forgetting about the fact that there is something greater that has been promised and given to us through Jesus. That we are sojourners in this world. We are exiles in this world. We are destined for a greater country. We're destined for a greater kingdom. And that's the kingdom of God. And that, that reality should impact how we live life now. If you truly are a kingdom, uh, if you truly are a citizen of God's kingdom, then shouldn't that change or impact your view on daily life? Are your concerns for the here and now? Are your concerns just about what's happening right in front of you? Or do you have concerns primarily about the things of God? Eternal, significant things. I'll be honest with you, so much of my life is spent just fretting under the clouds about stuff that's here and now without realizing that one day this is all gone. And I live under these clouds without realizing that once you get up over the top of them, you see that there's a greater destination. And my life is much more significant than just existing and trying not to die. But my life has eternal significance. You know why? Because I've been caused to be born again. I'm part of a royal priesthood. I'm part of a chosen people. I'm part of a holy nation. And because of that, how I live every day actually matters. And it's not just if you get your names written in history books. You, as a believer, belong to God. You're a part of His kingdom. And with that in mind, might you live life differently? Willing to say, it's not about just making the here and now more comfortable. It's about serving God for something far more glorious. What if God is calling you to do something crazy for Him? Are you willing to do it realizing that the things of this life, they're temporary. You belong to a greater kingdom. Might you leverage your life to say, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. Even if it means stepping out and starting a church where there isn't one. And facing the scary proposition that Satan is going to be at work trying to stop that work. And you may not be called up on the podium stand of all the church planters. You may not get the recognition from Nam. You might not get recognition in the Southern Baptist Convention. But you know you're serving a God who loves you. And you're part of his kingdom. So you're going to do something radical for him. What if you're going to do that in your regular life? You don't have to just start a church to do it. What if it's just going to work every day saying, you know what? I'm going to live life for eternal significance. I might share Jesus with people that I'm scared to death to share him with because I'm afraid of what they'll say to me or what they'll think of me. Who cares what they think? We are in eternally significant things. When you realize that you're a sojourner, 
you're a stranger here. We might live life differently, saying, God, what do you want me to do, even if it doesn't make earthly sense? If you want me to do it, I'll do it. Might it also impact what we value and treasure? If we really do belong to God's kingdom and this is not our home, then shouldn't it impact what we treasure and value? Maybe I'll stop spinning my wheels so much so I can have a bigger TV. Maybe I'll stop sweating so much about the next career advancement so that I might buy myself a few more things that are going to deteriorate and rot. Maybe I might invest my life and value things that God values, like living a life that glorifies him, that reflects his character. John Bunyan wrote a whole book about this. It's called The Pilgrim's Progress. And he presents to you a biblical concept that you, as a Christian, you are a pilgrim here. And you are living your life as a pilgrim who is destined for a greater city. And shouldn't that change how you live? See, we're not going to walk in holiness in a way that glorifies God if we don't remember that our citizenship is in heaven, not here. That's part of the war, remembering which side of the battle you're on. But number two, another key to glorifying God through walking in holiness is avoiding sinful passions. He says in verse 11, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. Folks, there is no other way to put it. You cannot walk in holiness unless you are avoiding sin. I know that sounds obvious. You're saying, duh, Jason, is that what you went and spent all that money to get your master's for? Yes. Is that part of walking in holiness, a key to living a holy life is avoid sin. And this is present tense. It means you got to keep on avoiding sin. Because as a pilgrim walking on the road, guess what you're going to find? You're going to find a lot of spiritual obstacles in front of you. As you walk as a pilgrim in this life, you're going to find daily things that are trying to trip you up to get you off track. Remember, we're pilgrims, and we daily walk to glorify God, and we do so by abstaining, he says, or avoiding sinful passions. The passions of the flesh is what he says. The loves of the flesh, the desires of the flesh. See, what he tells us is that even before Jesus, we had desires and passions and loves. They just happened to be for the flesh. What's that mean? Well, I think it means selfishness. It's desires and passions and loves that revolve around me. I'm the center of the universe. It's for my own glory. That's what I used to do apart from Jesus. But here, Peter says that if you are believers, you are called by God to avoid sinful passions. And that word avoid means to get distance between you and it. It means stay away from. It means stop it. Whatever sin, whatever sinful passions or desires that are lurking in your heart, don't listen to them. Don't answer them. Avoid them. They ain't worth it, brother. And in fact, what Peter's going to tell us is there's a real big reason why you should. Avoid them. And it, if you think about it, because of the love we've received from God, we as believers should hate sin. We should hate sin so much that we want to stay as far from it as possible. 
Listen, I'm not good at a lot of games. I, I don't have the mental capacity to do anything very tricky. Uh, just the small group when we played the scissor game, uh, that just showed you that I'm not wise, I'm not smart, I'm kind of dull. But there is one game that I was really good at as a kid, really good at. It was called playing tag. Oh, I was good at tag. Because I, I, was, I was little and shifty. I could, I could hide places. I could fit in corners that other people couldn't fit in. Believe it or not, I could be quiet when I need to be. I was good at tag. I wish I, I wish I tried to avoid sin as much as I tried to avoid those dudes back playing tag. You know what I mean? Instead, I'm so often when it comes to sinful passions, I'm going up and petting them and coddling them so cute you're wonderful I treat sin as something other than the ugly beast it is see Peter says avoid sinful passions of the flesh he says avoid them get as far away from them as you can like a burning fire you don't want to get close it'll burn you it hurts so stay away what are these passions well all you have to do is go to Galatians chapter 5 Verse 19 through 21, and you'll find Paul's own description of the passions of the flesh. In Galatians chapter 5, he says this, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's what passions of the flesh look like. They are sinful. They are selfish. They are simply passions that desire for us to get whatever we want and forget everyone else. And by the way, that's the natural desires of the human heart apart from God. Selfish loves, selfish desires. So, back to you, Eric. Why such strong language about sinful passions? Why, so, why this whole get away from it? Why, why must sin be avoided at all costs? Well, because A, passions of the flesh are strong. He says in verse 11, which wage war against your soul. So this is an ongoing, regular battle that is taking place. There is a war that is being waged on your soul. It's being waged on your soul by these sinful passions of the flesh. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that the sin nature has been completely put away yet. Oh, I wish that was true. One day it will be. But we live as pilgrims in this life fighting against sinful passions of the flesh daily. And we have to fight against them because they fight against us. Evil lurks around every corner. And as such, we as Christians, we have to be diligent to see sin way off in the distance and to flee from those passions. See, there's a reason why this is so hard is because Passions are longings, they are yearnings, they are an appetite. And even as Christians, we still fight 
that old sin nature that desires for us to do for us, be selfish, get what we want. And those longings are powerful. They are strong. That's why we do, and it's why we also have to get away from them and stop it. Not only that, but the passions of the flesh are destructive. He says that they wage war against your soul. See, sin isn't just a problem because it brings physical consequences sometimes. Sin is a problem because it causes harm to your soul. There is spiritual damage done. These passions, he says, are like an evil army seeking, seeking to conquer and control your heart. Your whole being. But that's not who we are in Jesus. Because we've been set free. That enemy, that army that's approaching has been conquered by Christ. And so we are able to abstain. We're able to avoid. We're able to flee because of what Jesus has done. Because we're a holy nation. Because we're a chosen people. Because we've been taken from darkness and brought into light. We're able to do this. But you have to be understanding and I have to understand that this war is taking place. We have to remember our citizenship and we have to avoid sinful pleasures. But that's not all. Because Peter says next, in verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. What in the world is that? Well, the third key to glorifying God by walking in holiness is clinging to good conduct. Clinging to good conduct. So notice, very interestingly, Peter doesn't start with behavior and then deal with passions. He starts with passions and then deals with behavior. I wonder why. Is it possible that the main culprit behind our behavior is the sinful passions that exist? So you can't just correct behavior and expect everything to be okay because you're not dealing with the passions behind the behavior. So he starts with avoid sinful passions, get away from them, don't give them the light of day, and then cling to good conduct. So conduct or behavior flows out of the passions that we have. And by the way, our passions and loves expose which kingdom we belong to. Remember, the two kingdoms are known by their loves and desires. If we as Christians love and desire the things the world loves and desires, are we not showing ourselves to be citizens of that kingdom primarily? See, we avoid and we flee evil desires by clinging to good conduct. He says, keep your conduct honorable. Keep it good. Hold it tightly. Cling to it. By the way, this is also in the present tense. You know why? Because while the war is going on for your soul through evil passions, guess what? You're also called to continuously cling to good conduct. Continue to walk in holiness day after day after day. So we glorify God as pilgrims as we abstain or avoid evil desires and cling to or hold fast to godly conduct. So what is godly conduct? Well, it had been awesome if Paul, next to his list of the works of the flesh, might have put what good conduct is. Oh, he did! Galatians chapter 5. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things there is no law. 
So we're called to cling to and to walk after that which glorifies God and honors Him. Later on in chapter 4 of 1 Peter, Peter's going to tell us that this good conduct is the will of God. To do what God has told His people to do. How are you going to do that? Well, you're going to have to know what the Bible says about what God expects of you. How we walk. What actions do honor Him. But I want you to notice our decisions and actions as pilgrims of God flow from holy desires that God creates in us through Jesus. We're only able to cling to good conduct because our passions have been transformed. So can I put it to you this way? God's love for us transforms our loves. We love differently because we've experienced the love of God. Because we are beloved we can actually love what God loves. We can actually reflect His goodness and His character. This is a new way of life that God commands. And Peter's already said it before. He said it in chapter 1, verse 15. As He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. This is who you are. You've been made new. And that new being, that new creation, is the image-bearing of God. It is to reflect His character. And by the way, it is a privilege to do this. It's not a burden. It's actually a privilege to be able to live for God and to glorify Him. But we need to remember, while Peter does call us to avoid sin and to basically stop it, it's not as if he's left us helpless in that fight. Because while the war is going on, there's also a witnessing going on. And what he tells us in verse 12 is keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. As we walk and live holy lives as Christians, as pilgrims in this world, bound for a greater kingdom, we do it depending on the Spirit's power. We do it depending on the Spirit's power. Because after all, it is the fruit of the Spirit at work, not ours. The Spirit produces this within us. See, see you might say, well, that's kind of cruel for Peter just to say, stop it. Don't, don't chase after sin. Don't give sinful passions the, the time of day. You might say, well, that sounds great, but that's just not doable. Well, yeah, under your power and your will, it's not. Under your power and your will, it's not possible. It's not possible for me to do this under my power. I've seen what happens when I operate by my power. And it ain't get away from sin. Under my power, it's how close can I get to this thing without it biting me. And I'll just trust that I'll get myself out of it when the time comes. I'm not unusual in that, am I? Am I, am I the only one who tries to get close to sin without touching it? Because <laughs> we as Christians spend an awful lot of time of seeing if we can draw the line and get tiptoed to it. In the hopes that we won't fall over. But we know when we start tiptoeing closer to sin, we're setting ourselves up. That's not avoiding 
That's not clinging to good conduct. That's what the world does. So we need to remember that it is the Spirit's power at work. Your good deeds glorify God, he says. That by living holy lives, you are actually glorifying God and causing other people to do the same. So how does avoiding passions of the flesh and clinging to good conduct glorify God? Well, because you can't do those things apart from being beloved. God puts this in you as a Christian. This is what it means to be born again. This is what it means to be a chosen people. This is what it means to be a holy nation. God has loved you and transformed your loves, and because of that, he gets the credit. When you walk in holiness, God's the one who gets the glory from it. This is the difference between the loves of the world and the loves of those who are citizens of God's kingdom. The loves of the world seek glory for themselves. Look how great I am. Look how wonderful I am. But the loves of the kingdom of God are meant to point to the glory of the God who stirs up those loves within his people. And we have to be careful that we don't try to battle passions of the flesh and walk in our own willpower. It's only because we are children of God that we can be obedient to God who called us out of darkness into his light. And he did that through Jesus. He did that through Jesus who by his life, death, and resurrection has conquered sin. He has conquered the strong man. In Matthew chapter 12, when Jesus is being accused of doing work on behalf of Satan, Jesus declares that he is the one who binds the strong man. He's the one who defeats sin, death, and Satan. Which means that because he's done that and we're in him, then we, by the Spirit's power, can also battle sin and darkness and Satan. And only Jesus, only Jesus, can cause sinful people to walk in holiness to the glory of God. It's almost like he said that himself in Matthew chapter 5 when Jesus sits down to teach his disciples what a life of a Christian looks like. And he says, let your light shine before men that they might see your good works and praise your Father who is in heaven. See, our holiness is not just for us to go, yay, I'm awesome, did you see what I did? Our holiness is so that people will glorify God and go, you see what God does in the hearts of people? He can cause people who used to do nothing but chase after sinful passions. He changes them, that they love righteousness instead. They flee from sinful passions and they cling to that which glorifies their God. And it had to be Jesus. It had to be him. He was the only one who stood toe-to-toe with temptation and was victorious. He is the one who was faithful in all things. He is the one who went to battle against sin. He's the one who witnessed and proclaimed 
the coming of the kingdom of God. He's the one who secured redemption by his perfection. It has to be Jesus. And once we have him, once we're in Christ, we are completely capable of avoiding sinful passions, clinging to good conduct, glorifying our God who is in heaven while remembering we are pilgrims passing through. But don't get it mistaken. We must walk as pilgrims in this life. We must. You belong to another kingdom. And every single day, every day, every moment, remember your citizenship. Avoid sinful passions. Cling to good conduct, depending on the Spirit's power. And trust that by doing these things, you will one day finally arrive in your home. You will one day finally arrive in the kingdom you've been pursuing. One day, you will dwell with God fully and completely. No more clouds obscuring the view, but to bask in the glory of God as faithful pilgrims who dedicated their lives to their king. Folks, don't forget, this ain't your home. You're passing through. And realize that the kingdom we are bound for is so much more glorious than what we can ever imagine. But you need Jesus every day. I need Christ every day. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you need Jesus right now to forgive you of your sin because every person in this room has chased after the passions of the flesh. Every single one of us is part of that list that Paul gives of the works of the flesh. Even you sweet people in this room, you have all of us have chased after those things and desired them more than we've loved God. And because of that, we deserve punishment. We deserve judgment. But God by his great love by which he loved us. He has caused us to be born again through his son, that by Jesus' perfection, by his perfect obedience, his sacrificing, atoning death on the cross, by his resurrection from the dead, by his ascension to the right hand of the Father and the promise of his return, he has conquered sin, death, and Satan that we might walk the glory of God. This morning, you need to trust in Christ for that rescue. And if you are a Christian, you say, I already am in Jesus. I am one of those beloved. Praise God. Remember your citizenship. Run from sinful passions. Flee. Stop it. And do it because you love God supremely. Cling to good conduct. Chase after righteousness. And do it all depending on the Spirit's power. Until the day you're called home. Or until the day Jesus returns. Live as a pilgrim. Pursuing the kingdom you're bound for. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I love you. That from your word, God, you show us. That God, while we sometimes get too caught up in the things right in front of us. God, we forget 
oftentimes what you have saved us from and what you're bringing us to. And Father, I pray this morning for every person who's here, Lord, that we would see that Jesus is the only hope that we have in this life, that he is the only one who can rescue us from the depths of our sin. He is the only one who can transform our hearts to love the things that you love. And so, Father, this morning, for anyone in this room who is maybe trying to be good in the hopes that being good will will pay for their sin, that their goodness will somehow get them into heaven, Father, would you show them that there's nothing we can do to satisfy the debt that we owe for our sin. There's no amount we can pay that will pay for our rebellion and our sin against you. But God, you said that you showed your son and gave him up so that we might know your love. That as your word says in Romans chapter 5, that you have displayed your love to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. Father, would you show every heart in this room our desperate need for forgiveness from our sin that's found only in trust of Jesus. That we might lay our sin before you and we might find the forgiveness and the cleansing that we so desperately want and need. Father, I pray that you will draw hearts to yourself, rescue and save souls, and do so by your mighty hand. And Father, for those of us who are believers, those who would count ourselves among the beloved, God, so often this world and the loves of this world entice us, seek to lure us away from devotion to you and to move us back into devotion for ourselves. Father, as your people, would you help us, God, by your Spirit's power to flee from sin, to run from the passions and desires that don't honor you, to avoid them at all costs and to do so by clinging to what you've called us to, to cling to good conduct, God, that we would live in a way that would honor you. God, that we would realize that the holy lives we live are not just so that we, God, can can see and experience the blessing of your grace, but God, that others might see our good works and glorify you. They might see the difference that you make in the human heart and they might trust in Jesus as well. So, Father, would you help us? We've all failed you, God. We've all failed you so many times. And yet, the blood of Jesus covers them all. Father, may we lay before you all of our burdens. Father, would we lay our lives before you as living sacrifices. Because we're pilgrims passing through, God, we dedicate our lives to you. Whatever you want us to do, we'll do it. Whatever you call us to do, we'll do it. Wherever you want us to go, we'll go. Whatever you want us to give up, we'll give it up. God, we'll do it because we love you more than this life. Father, help us to do this. Help us to fight against sin. Confess it. And God, help us to chase after you. Lord, would you convict us in our hearts. Draw us to yourself to help us to see again the love of Jesus and the need for his sacrifice. Lord, do your work among us so that you might receive glory in this place. We love you. We praise you. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.